Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 72. Last week we spoke about the connection between marriage and Ahavat Hashem. We said that actually marriage was given to us to be an example of how to develop a relationship of Ahava. That hopefully through that relationship we will both understand and be able to use it as a ladder in the relationship with our Creator. We also mentioned that the key to developing a loving relationship, marriage, and all relationships is the area of Sheva, of compliments. Complimenting, telling people what they're special at, pointing that out, is a major part of developing a loving relationship. And we spoke about that at length last week. But some of you may have walked out thinking, well, how do we know that? Sounds like a nice thing, complimenting people. Nobody's going to disagree that it would be a beautiful thing to do. But where do I come off telling you that it is the foundation of a loving relationship? That if you want to reach Ahava, you want to have shalom, you want to have a great home, you need to have this area doing really well. As you know, our nation wasn't born last week or last year or last century. We have a Torah, we have direction, when we make statements like that, you should have all walked out saying, it's very nice. Where did he get that from? How does he know that compliments is the key to great relationships? If you didn't walk out that way, so it should be a lesson forward. You shouldn't have walked out saying, wow, that was nice. You should have asked, how'd you know? Where'd you get it from? So I'd like to tell you where I got it from. The Sidur that we have, that we pray from, specifically the Amidah, is like a building that has different floors 
It has a penthouse, penthouse being the top, the goal. It's got a foundation and it connects one piece to another. The Amida is not some random words that were put together. The Gemara goes through each Beracha, where it's learned from, where we find it in the Torah. The people that put this together were the Anshe Keneset HaGdola, the men of great assembly, some of the greatest men in our history. Amongst them were prophets. And they sat down to write every word and every Beracha and the order of the Berachot. The end of the Amidah, the Beracha, is Sim Shalom Tova Ubracha. We ask Hashem for Shalom. As we know, there is nothing greater than Shalom. There's no greater tool in life than Shalom. Like it says in the Mishnah, in the end of Shas, Lo Matza HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Keli Mahazik Tova Obracha LeIsrael Ela HaShalom, which means that Shalom is a great vessel. Peace in our lives is a great Keli. It's interesting that Hazal used the word vessel to describe Shalom. What is the connection? The answer is that Shalom is not a goal in itself. The goal of life isn't to live B'Shalom. There are higher goals in life. But it's a keli, it's a vessel. Just like the hammer is not the goal of the building, but you can't build without it. You cannot build a great life of beracha without shalom. That's why it's called a kli, it's a vessel. They compare it to a vessel that holds in it a very, very expensive, tasty wine. If the vessel that you're putting the wine in has a hole in the bottom, so all the wine that is placed in that vessel, as good as it is, it won't be able to be enjoyed by the person getting it. You bought the wine. You tell the person to pour it in my cup or pour it in my bottle and you're so happy because the beracha is coming into your bottle and they keep pouring and they pour more and more. But then you have nothing really there for you because the bottle has a hole in the bottom. That is a person who's lacking shalom in their life. If you don't have shalom in your home and with the people that you work with and live with, so then Hashem could send you all the blessings, every blessing that you prayed for, you can get, but you have no keli, you have no vessel to hold the blessings. So all the blessings go to waste. That's why Hazal, when they speak about shalom, they refer to shalom as a keli, it is a vessel that brings with a tremendous beracha. The end of the amida, the top, the goal of the amida, is to bring a person to seem shalom. The amida is our relationship with the creator of the world. 
It's like our marriage to Him, the time that we spend with Him. We spend our time in the Amidah. And the end, the top that we want to reach is that we should have Shalom, Toba, Ubracha. That is the top. But there is a lot of floors in order to get to that. We don't start the Amidah with Sim Shalom. We can't expect to have Shalom magically, like most of us believe somewhere in our conscious that Shalom is the norm, it's the default. Something might go wrong, and that's where you don't have Shalom. That's not the reality. The reality is that Shalom needs a lot of work. Shalom isn't automatic. Shalom isn't the default. In fact, it's the opposite. Normally people are different. They have their own ways. They have their own desires. Generally, their direction doesn't go hand in hand. The norm is that in relationships, and especially in marriage, there shouldn't be shalom. That's what the Amidah teaches us. That shalom is an outcome of many, many little parts. That only in the end you could hope that if you do it all right and in the right order, you'll have shalom. So our Amidah is like a brick by brick building till we get to the top of this great relationship that we have with the creator of the world. Like I mentioned, the order is also important. So much so that Shohan Aruch says that when we pray the Amidah, if a person makes a mistake in one of the Berachot, he says the wrong thing, and then they remember like five Berachot later, they must go back to that Beracha. They can't just stop where they are, make up the Beracha, and then continue. They have to go back. Let's say they made a mistake in Atahonen Adam Da'at, and they remembered only by Refa'enu. They have to go back to Atahonen and say all the Berachot again. But why not just say it right there? You remembered, you're still in the Amidah, just say it. Answer is, there's an order. It doesn't, it's not just haphazardly Berachot put together. There's an order to the Amidah and everything leads to the other. So you have to say it in the right order. Some say, by the way, you have to go back all the way to the beginning of the Amidah. Like the Biur Halakha says, he explains, Dekol yud het berachot. All 18 berachot, ne'emru keseder, they're all in order. Vekulan hashuvim ke beracha ahat le'enyanze. They're all like one beracha. Some say you miss a beracha somewhere, you gotta go all the way back. We don't hold that way, but that's how orderly the Amida is. When it comes to Amida and Tefillah, it's called Avodah Shebalev. I don't know if you've heard that before, but in the Torah, we are commanded Le'avdo to serve Hashem Bechol Levavchem with all of our heart. Hazal tell us what mitzvah is that? I mean, we serve Hashem 
in everything that we do. When we come to learn, we're serving Hashem. When we keep Shabbat, we're serving Hashem. When we watch what we say, what we eat, we're serving Hashem. So which mitzvah is actually le'ovdo? To serve Him with our hearts. Hazal tell us that this is the mitzvah of tefillah. And the question is, why is tefillah unique in that it's serving Hashem with our hearts? Isn't every mitzvah supposed to have our heart along with it? Isn't any act that we do supposed to have kavana with my heart? Could you imagine that we just kept the mitzvot without our heart? They would just be robotical there would be physical acts that don't have anything attached to them. The halacha is mitzvot tzedichot kavana. When you do a mitzvah, you need to have kavana. Your heart has to be involved. What are you doing? Why are you keeping Shabbat? Because Hashem said, great, that's a kavana. Why are you helping this person? Because Hashem said, Mitzvot Zrichot Kavana. So every mitzvah that we have in the Torah, we need to have Kavana Talib. Our mind has to be involved. It's not just the act with our body. So then what makes Tefillah Avodah Shebalev? It's the service of the heart. Every mitzvah has to have heart. Otherwise it's not a real mitzvah. So what's unique about tefillah that in the Torah it's called avodah, the service of the heart. The answer is that every other mitzvah, the main part of the mitzvah is the action. And the, the, the heart or the mind is supposed to bring it along and to make it solid and to make it 100% pure. That it shouldn't be a robotical act. So the main thing is the action. And to put life into the action, the heart comes along. But when it comes to tefillah, it's not like that. Tefillah, the main thing is your heart. The main thing is your thoughts. And the words are just an expression of your thoughts. It's not about what you say. It's about what you feel. You need to say to bring out your lev. So again, in other mitzvot, your lev enhances your action. But when it comes to tefillah, it's your heart that is the main player here. And your words are just supposed to help you bring out your thoughts in an orderly way that can make sense and can have a stronger impression on what you're thinking. Sometimes thoughts are hard to control. When you say it, it just puts you secure in what you're saying and what you're feeling. So here the words are helping your heart, not your heart is helping your action. It's Abodash Balev. The Havot Levavot says that really our tefilot are supposed to be our personal connection to Hashem, our feelings to Hashem. But he says, because he says it's kaved al hanefesh, 
He says it became heavy on the person. Heavy, I think he means difficult. It became difficult for people to spill their heart to Hashem without any kind of words or order or something in print that they could follow. So that's why he says, Our rabbis, they made an order for us of the things that we should be saying, the things that we should be finding valuable in our relationship. So basically you have a person, he wants to get close to Hashem, he wants to develop this great marriage with Hashem, but he doesn't know how to do it. He's lacking the tools. So Hazal sat down all together and they said, okay, this is what you need to connect to Hashem. You need to start with this, then you go here, then you go with that, and then you go, and then in the end, you will develop this amazing marriage of shalom and bracha and everything that's in it. So the amida basically is a guide to marriage. That's what comes out. The amida is a guide to marriage between us and Hashem. That is the greatest marriage. And if marriage in this physical world is meant to be an example, then the amida must also be guiding us to a great marriage. But obviously we would have to study what's in it, pay attention to what they said and what they want us to do and what's going on. Yes, if we pick up the sidur and say the words, neither will our marriage to Hashem have any meaning and we can't learn anything from the Amidah. But hopefully if we paid attention, we'll be able to learn and gain a tremendous wealth from it. The Havot Levavot tells us that of course, as we mentioned, prayer without attention, without kavana, without concentration, he says, that if a person prays with his mouth, but his mind is busy in other thoughts. He's somewhere else. He's thinking about his children, about his family, about his business, about his learning, whatever it is. He's involved in something else. So his prayer is like a body without a spirit. You know what a body looks like without a ruach, without a spirit? They call that death. When there's a body and there's no more spirit, that's when the person is dead. He's physically here, but he's not really here. Tefillah, he says it's a goof. Beli ruach. Uklipa belo lev. Imagine buying a watermelon that's supposed to be from the tastiest of watermelons. And you open up the watermelon and there's nothing inside. It's empty. You buy a fruit and it's empty. And you go back to the store and you say, I don't understand. You sold me something that was empty. So what do you mean? It was a whole watermelon. Didn't you see it? But that's just the outside. That's called the kilipa. 
The outside isn't the valuable part, it's the inside. Says the Havot Lavot at without your concentration is like buying the external part of the fruit with nothing inside of it. There's no content. So let's talk about tefillah in halacha. If you open up Masechet Berachot, they teach us about how our tefillah is meant to be recited. So the Gemara says, and it's brought down in halacha and Shulchan Aruch, Hamid Palel, the one who prays, right now we're talking about the Amida. Meaning if somebody would ask, how many parts of the Amidah should I be concentrating in? When we say you need to be focused on what you're reading, on what you're saying. So how many of the 19 Berachot do I have to do this in? You have to do it bechol abrachot, all of them. All the berachot need kavana. They all need concentration. At least at the end of each beracha. Continue shohan aruch. Ve'im eno yachol lechaven bekulam. Let's say a person says, "Listen, I can't do it." I can't focus for 10 minutes on every beracha. I can't. I hope to be able to one day. Right now, today, I can't do it. So what should we tell him? Should we tell him to pray? Should we tell him not to pray till he figures it out? What should we tell him? Because remember, a prayer without kavana is worthless. It's buying a watermelon with nothing inside. That's called worthless. So what do you tell a person who says, I'm sorry, I can't concentrate. I just can't. I have too much going on in my life. I just can't do it. What do we tell him? Shohan Aruch says, we tell him to pray. Yechaven et libo be'ahat. Gemara says, have kavana in one. In one of the berachot. The Gemara doesn't say which one. So it sounds like, okay, just pick one. Which would be like an interesting type of thing. That means, like, do your best. Just pick one. But the Gemara explains, Rabbi Hayyah says, no, no, no. It doesn't mean anyone. It means, be'ahat means the one. As if we're supposed to know when they say the one, like we're supposed to know which one. Which beracha of the 19 is the one that's so obvious that when we say one, we mean that one. Which one is that? Right now, me and you don't know which one. I could, I could give an argument for many of the berachot. They should be the one. Maybe Sim Shalom. Maybe that should be the one. Which one is the one? Says the Gemara. Avot. Avot means the first beracha. 
The first beracha, you must have kavanah. If you can't have kavanah and the rest, so your tefillah counts. You've done something to this relationship. You've upgraded somehow this marriage between you and Hashem. You did something. Even though you weren't concentrating on 18 out of 19. You're only concentrating on one. You did good. It's not the best. It's not the greatest marriage. But it works. What if a person said the Amidah and didn't concentrate even in the first one? Or better yet, he even concentrated on some of the other ones. Let's say he did 18 out of 19. Great. He was totally concentrating on the Amidah. The only one he wasn't concentrating is the first one. Shohan Ruch says, Im lo kiven ba'avot. If you don't have concentration in the first beracha, af alpi shekiven bekolashar, even if you had kavanah in the rest, the entire amida, yahzor veyit palel. You have to pray again. You didn't pray. It doesn't count. Your tefillah doesn't count. You go to Shemaim, they tell you, did you pray? Every day. Really? On record we see you haven't prayed in 45 years. What? 45 years? I pray three times a day. With a minyan. What are you talking about? 45 years? How could you? Could you pull up my files? Make sure this matches? You give them your social security? And here they are. They show you. And you're praying. And they say, look, here. Don't you see I'm praying? Ten minutes I spent over there. I even closed my eyes. Don't you see I'm shaking? What do you think I'm doing? And then in Shavayim they have the video camera on the brain that we don't have yet in this world. They have a brain camera, high definition. And all of a sudden they show this guy He's in Hawaii. <laughs> in one Amida, he went around the world a couple of times. And he is, his daughter's wedding, he's thinking about, he's thinking about the funeral that he just went to. He's thinking about the business deal that he almost got. He's thinking about the house that he needs to build. He opened up his bank account a couple of times. I said, what, where are you? And you would say, but what do you mean? But I prayed. Look, I said every word. No, no, but tefillah is avodah shebalev. The main thing is what's on your mind. The words are just the external, uh, uh, we'll call it, uh, words of your heart, but the 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 heart is the main thing. Shohan Aruch says, if you pray without kavanah in the first beracha, you haven't prayed. You have to go back. Now halacha lemaaseh, the poskim bring down that this person who doesn't concentrate, we're afraid if he does it again, again he won't concentrate. 
and all he's doing is saying berachot in vain so we don't actually make people go back even though that is the halakha according to Shohan Aruch I find that to be very interesting that out of all the berachot of the Amidah this awesome ladder to build this marriage between us and Hashem, out of all the rungs on the ladder, there's only one rung on that ladder that actually makes the biggest difference. So much so that the Amidah without it is zero. Even if all the rungs are perfect, I find that to be a tremendous Hidush. What is going on in that first beracha that is so crucial, essential, that you can't have an amidah without it? It means you can't have a relationship without it. The first beracha is shevah. It's praising Hashem. Or I like to say complimenting Hashem. Praising sounds very holy. Sounds like angels could do things like that. Praising Hashem. I can't praise Hashem. David HaMelech could praise Hashem. But complimenting actually makes sense even in our language. The first beracha is complimenting Hashem. It's giving Him compliments. You're Gadol, Gibor, Gomel Hasadim Tovim. Complimenting Hashem how much kindness He's doing every day as we speak. How many people are breathing today? How many people are eating today? How much food is grown on the tree today? And on and on and on. The first Beracha is Sheva. The Gemara says, "Le'olam yesader adam shivho shel Kadosh Baruch Hu." A person should first praise Hashem, first compliment Hashem, and then he should pray. When you read this Gemara, it would seem almost like the main part of Tefillah is asking for our needs. That's probably what most people think. That the, that real Tefillah is asking for what we need from Hashem. But before you ask, it's not appropriate just to go in and ask. First, throw in some compliments. That's how most people would understand it. But it seems not like that. A, from what we just said, if the main part of the tefillah is asking for our needs and the compliment is just like a, a way to like go in the door, how could that be? the most important beracha. That's, that's already like a question. Maybe shomea tefillah should be the beracha. That's the one we ask for all of our needs. And then, if you open up the Gemara Masechet Berachot, I want you to pay attention to this. I hope you follow me. If you don't, it's fine. It'll be just a quick minute. The Gemara says, Yachol one might have thought, which means it's a mistake, but someone would have thought 
that this is the right way of Amida. What's the right way? Yish'al Adam Tzerachav that first a person should ask for what he needs. You might have thought that's the right way. First, ask for your needs. And then pray afterwards. Should I repeat, repeat that? One more time. One might have listened to the words. The Gemara says, one might have thought that the way to approach Amida is Yish'al Adam Tzerachav First ask for your needs I need a mind I need I need refu'ah I need beracha I need that's called asking for your needs One might have thought you should ask for your needs and then Yitpalel and then there's tefillah. Wait a second. Isn't tefillah translated as asking for your needs? What does that mean? One might have thought, first you ask your needs, and then eat palel. So what's eat palel? The answer is, the word yit palel doesn't mean to ask for our needs. Tefillah actually means to compliment. Tefillah means shebah. That's what the Maharsha says in Masachet Berachot. I don't want to go into the details. It's beyond the scope of this class. But you could look it up. Daf Lamed Aleph Amud Aleph. The Gemara that I just quoted. And the Maharsha that explains it. Basically the Gemara says, Lishmoa El Harina the El HaTefillah. It's a pasuk. Lishmoa El Harina. Rina means song. Says the Gemara. Zo Tefillah. Tefillah means that's the praise. When you say the word Tefillah, you actually mean praising Hashem. <coughs> and if you look in many of the books of the Rishonim and the Aharonim, you'll find the same theme. That all along we thought that tefillah is asking for our needs. But the actual definition of tefillah seems to be complimenting. The mabit writes, Aikar ha-kavana. He says the main purpose of tefillah is behagadato shivhoshel makom. It's to compliment Hashem and to thank Him, he says. He calls that kavana amitit. That is the true kavana of tefillah. Not asking Hashem for what you need. That's a, another thing that we do during our amida. It's an important part. But it's not the main part. In a book called Sefer Hasidim, a very holy book, he writes... Don't go into your prayer. Focus just on your needs, on what you need. Because the main part of tefillah is your praise of Hashem, not what you need. He says, that's, that's selfish, that's for you. 
you're building a marriage with Hashem. A marriage with Hashem is not built on you asking for what you need. A marriage with Hashem is built on you recognizing how much you have to compliment Him and how much you have to praise Him. A marriage built on what I need and how much you're going to give me and I keep asking from you, although it may be a part of marriage, but it's not what makes a marriage. And it's not what makes Amida. That's supposed to develop our marriage. The Ramban says in Parashat Bo, he says, Vekavanat Romemut Hakol. He says, the purpose of raising our voice, Bitfilot in our prayers, Vekavanat Bate Knesiot, and the purpose of the Bet Knesset, and the Tfilah of the Rabim. He says that there should be a place for people when they get together and they should thank their Creator. And they should make it known to all of each other and to others. And they should say in front of Him, We are your creations. We're so thankful to be your creations. This is what Ramban writes in Parashat Bo. So if you asked last week, what's your source? Where did you get this from? That compliment is the key to a great relationship, to building a relationship of Ahava, and you expect to get to Ahava, you need to have compliments. It's the key element of relationships, if you ask me where did I get it from? The answer is I got it from the best source, the Amidah. The Amidah that we say every day, which Hazal tell us is all the steps to get to a great marriage. But it seems to be that the most crucial of all of those steps is the Sheva, is the complimenting, is the praise. It is not only the first but it's also the most important. On that note, I'd like to share with you a very famous story. A story that needs a lot of explanation. It's a story of Resh Lakish, who Rashid describes as a gangster. He was, we'll call him, the head of the mafia of the time. The Gemara says that Resh Lakish one time saw Rabbi Yohanan, the great sage Rabbi Yohanan. He was bathing in the Jordan River. And Resh Lakish decided to jump in the river behind him. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yohanan saw Resh Lakish do this, I don't know what kind of jump it was. I don't know if it was a somersault. I don't know if it was a high jump. I don't know if it was long. I don't know exactly what it was. But it was something 
that just wowed Rabbi Yohanan. He could not believe what he just watched. Resh Lakis is jumping like he never saw anyone jump. And he lands next to Rabbi Yohanan. Rabbi Yohanan is so impressed by Resh Lakish. And he knows Resh Lakish. He was the famous gangster. He tells him, you know Resh Lakish. He says, if only you would use your strength for Torah, you would be a gadol. You would be the gadol hador. Who knows what you could become? What a nice compliment. Imagine someone told you that. Amarle, so what does Resh Lakish, the gangster, tell Rabbi Yohanan? How does a gangster reply to such a refined compliment? He tells him, Shufrach le He says, You should know that your beauty is wasted on you. It should have been given to a woman. You're a beautiful man. Can't believe how gorgeous you are. This is the way a gangster replies to someone who tells him you could be the Gadol Hador. Say, why, you know, you're just so beautiful. What a waste. Rabbi Yohanan doesn't get thrown off. He knows who he's dealing with. So he tells him, listen to me. If you change your mind, if you're willing to change, change your lifestyle, I will give you I will give you my sister as a bride to marry. He tells him, you think I'm beautiful? My sister is more beautiful than I. So if you're willing to change, I'm going to give you my, make a shiduk with my sister. And the Gemara says, Kabil Aleph. Rish Lakish says, Okay, he liked it. Deal. <coughs> the Gemara says, after they made this deal, this deal happening in the water, by the way. It's in the Jordan River. And you never know what could happen by your pool. <laughs> now, Resh Lakish goes back up to the, uh, to the ground and he tries to do another jump. The Gemara says, He wanted to do it again. He couldn't do it. Whatever he was able to do before, he couldn't do anymore. As she explains, because Hazal tells us that the Torah is called Tushiyah. Tushiyah means Mateshet Kohoshel Adam. Torah has a way of making someone physically weaker. You're not going to have so much muscles when you're learning Torah. It's not what Torah does. It doesn't make you physically stronger. 
So since Resh Lakish was Hazel Bichuba, he lost his energy, lost his car. So he couldn't do the same jump anymore. And of course, the Gemara goes on to describe the greatness of Resh Lakish. He became one of the greatest sages in our history. He became Havrutot with Rabbi Yohanan. So much so that Rabbi Yohanan, when Resh Lakish passed away, he couldn't, he couldn't live without him. They tried to get him these great people to learn with it didn't work out until finally Rabbi Yohanan basically died because of the loss of his Havrutah of many years, Rish Lakish. So it's an amazing story, has a lot of Nikudot points to stop and think about. But for today, <clears throat> I think there are a few obvious questions that anyone who reads the story could ask. Not deep questions, very simple questions. Question number one. So every gangster you meet, you tell him you could be the Gadol Hador. Is that how it works? I mean, what what did Rish Lakish do that Rabbi Yohanan says, you know, you could be the Gadol Hador? If Rish Lakish went out of his way for somebody, helped them, even though he was a gangster, he thought of a great concept, <clears throat> even though he was a gangster. So we can understand, Rabbi Yohanan says, look, look what you could become. Look at that. Look at how many people you helped. Look at the idea you just shared. Look how many people you inspired. We can understand that. But you see a guy do a somersault and that qualifies him to be the Gadol Hador? It would seem to be that Rabbi Yohanan is not a faker. He wouldn't tell him that based on just buttering him up. So it doesn't make sense. The guy's bench pressing 500 pounds. He said you could be the Gadol Hador. What, what does one have to do with the other? Gadlut of Torah has nothing to do with what he did. That's question one. Question two, which is probably the biggest question of all, is you know how much did Rabbi Hanan hate his sister? <laughs> I mean, what, what, on what level... What exactly was the Shiduch criteria for this girl that he was looking for a husband? I mean, I imagine she's Rabbi Yohanan's sister. That's already big. She's a beautiful woman, as was described. So that's good. So what is he doing? Because Resh Lakish accepted upon himself to change, He's going to give him his sister to marry? Is that really what we're supposed to learn from here? Should we be doing that? When we find someone changed his ways, not yesterday, today, like now, in the water. The guy didn't do one thing yet. Do you know how hard it is to change? We come to classes every week. We listen, we hear, we understand. And if we added up all the changes that we've made in the last year, for some of us, we may not find any. Even though we heard a lot of things that probably could have helped us, but we just didn't do it. Just because you want to change doesn't mean you're going to. There are so many obstacles along the road. So because Rishaki says, I'm in, so that guarantees that he is qualified to marry his sister? 
How could that be? I think that would be irresponsible if we would do that. That's question number two. How did the great Rabbi Yohanan do that? He's a very wise man. And number three, the end of the story, which is that Rish Lakish lost his strength. He couldn't jump anymore because he shook hands with Rabbi Yohanan. That also doesn't make sense. Because yes, the Torah might weaken a person physically, but the man hasn't opened a book yet. All he did was shake hands in the river. He didn't do anything. How could it be that already he lost his strength? Three questions on this famous story. We'll get back to it later on. We're going to go to a, another famous story. The story of Yaakov Avinu who was running away from Isav, going to Haran. And the Torah reports to us, and the Torah doesn't tell us much about his travels or even his life. But it seems that this story is very important and we need to know about it. So it talks about where he goes to Haran and he finds that there are shepherds sitting around. You know, they have employers. They're workers, and they're sitting around in the middle of the day doing nothing. I mean, if it was my employees, I'd be upset. Somebody else's employees, I don't know, it's their business. But a great man like Yaakov doesn't like to see evil, even if it's not being done to him. So what does he do? He gets involved. He tells them, guys, middle of the day, why are you sitting around? Why aren't you working? They told him, listen, we can't. There's this big stone, big rock on top of the well. We need to give water to the, to the animals. And uh, we can't move it. So the Pasuk says that while he's talking to them, he sees Rahel coming with the sheep that belongs to her father. And the Pasuk says, and it was. When Yaakov saw Rahel, Yaakov came to the stone, to the well, Vayagel et ha'even me'alpi ha'be'er, and he rolled the rock off the opening of the well. So what all the shepherds together couldn't do, he went and he pushed it out. Rashi Allah Shalom says, he did it like a person who takes the cork off the bottle. Very easy. And says Rashi, and what's the message here? Meaning, why do we need to know this? So anyone who reads the story doesn't understand too much. Imagine Yaakov has a lot of muscle. He's been working at the gym. And uh, look how strong he is. And the Torah is coming to tell us how great our father Yaakov is. Look how many muscles he had. But obviously that isn't what we look up to in life. So that she says, meaning, and it's coming to teach you what? Why do I need to know this story? That he got involved and told them, I understand. He didn't like evil. Why do I need to know that he was capable of pushing the rock by himself? Why does that matter? Now she's bothered by that. 
And Rashi says, Leho di acha, to teach you, Torah is coming to teach you, Shekoho gadol, that his koah is great. Okay, not sure how that answers the question. That was the question. Why do we need to know he had muscles? So what does he mean, Shekoho gadol? There is a poem that is read in one of the tefillot when we ask for rain on Shmini Atzeret. The Ashkenazim have it in their mahzor. We don't have the exact same words, although we also talk about Yaakov Avinu during that time. In this poem it says, describing this act, we're asking Hashem, basically, for rain, for the season. So we bring up the zechut of the great people before us. And one of them is Yaakov. And which zechut of Yaakov do we specifically talk about at that moment, when we're asking for the rain? We say like this. Yihad lev vegal even mipi be'ermain Means he rolled the stone off the well. But before that it says, Yihad Lev. Yihad Lev, the word Yihad Lashon Yahad. Yahad means together. Lev means heart. He put his heart together and he pushed the stone off the well. What are they trying to express with the word Yihad Lev? So they're coming to make sure that nobody makes a mistake, that Yaakov was a muscular man. But his strength was in this part of his being. It's called the Yihad Lev. He was a man who had the ability to bring his heart together or bring his mind together. Now, as far as we know, we only bring things together that are more than one. Two, three, four, five, bring them together, gather it in. The mind is one. The lev is one. What, what does that mean? He put his lev together. It's only one lev. How does that make sense? And the answer is, there's something called kavana, kavanat halev. It's called directing your thoughts. For example, you do the mitzvah of sukkah and you say, why am I doing this? That's called kavana. You direct your thoughts. And then it's called yehud halev. Yehud halev means that there's nothing else in your thoughts for the moment except what you're doing. It's different. Again, kavanatalev means I direct my thoughts to what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean in my thoughts while I'm doing what I'm doing, there aren't other things too. Yehud lev means that there is nothing at the moment in my mind, there is nothing right now in my thoughts except what I'm doing. There's nothing else. That's why it's called Yihad Lev. 
means the lev is ahad. It's one. Which means that Yaakov at that moment, his koah, his strength, was the ability to completely channel his thoughts and his energy on one thing, not splintered into many things. He focused everything he had on this act. And why was this act so important to him that he needs to focus all his energy on it? Well, if you look in the Pasuk, there's something very strange about this Pasuk. I left it out before, but now I'll read it to you. And tell me if you notice something strange. It's all one Pasuk. Vayhi. And it was. Ka'asher ra'a Ya'akov. When Ya'akov saw et Rahel, he saw Rahel, bat Lavan, the daughter of Lavan, ahi imo, who was the brother of his mother. Ve'etzon Lavan, and he saw the sheep of Lavan, Ahi Imo, the brother of his mother. Va'yigash Yaakov, and Yaakov came, and he took the stone off. Va'yashk, and he gave water to who? Etzon Lavan, to the sheep of Lavan, Ahi Imo, the brother of his mother. Notice how many times it says, Ahi Imo. By the way, we already know that Lavan is Ahi Imo. The Torah already told us before in the story of Eliezer that Lavan was the brother of Rivka. So we already know who this character is. Yet the Torah in this Pasuk not only says it, but repeats it three times. <coughs> Lavan, who's Lavan? Ahi Imo. Again, Ahi Imo. Why do you have to say Ahi Imo three times? And they're all unnecessary. And the answer is that he saw an opportunity for a mitzvah of kibud avayim. He saw his mother's brother. He couldn't honor his mother where he was. He was too far away. He lost that mitzvah once he left his father and mother. But there's another way to honor your father and mother. is to honor the people that are close to them. The people who are their family. Some say you have to honor your grandfather because you have to honor your father. So it's an honor to your father that you honor his father. So he honored Lavan Ahi Imo. He saw a great mitzvah ahead of him. And what does Yaakov do when he has a mitzvah? You know what he does? He takes everything in his living fiber and he's meyahed. He makes it one. He thinks about nothing else. He's completely focused for the moment on what he's doing. And says the poem, That's how he was able to push the stone from the well. Because this energy is something we have in all of us. It doesn't require physical muscle. It requires a focus of the entire person into what they're doing. If you focus everything you have in what you're doing, you're going to have a lot more koa. You would never imagine you had that ability and all of a sudden, whoa, how did I do that? 
When did I get that? You always had it. Problem is that you never had your lev ehad. Your lev was in a hundred places. Your mind is all over the place. When you're in a hundred places, your energies are all over. And therefore you don't have the ability to do so much more that you could. That was the strength of Yaakov Avinu. Shekoho gadol, which koah? We see in other places, Koho Gadol is referring to Abraham, Rashi says, whose chesed, his kindness, the kindness of Yaakov, seeing the ability to do kindness for his uncle, he brought it all together for him, and he did something that seemed to be beyond his ability. We find this, by the way, not only in the story of his arms and the ability to push. But we find a similar scenario by Yaakov when the Pasuk says that he was on his journey and he, pa- he passed Hara Moria. He didn't realize. He passed it on his journey. And when he got to Haran, he came to the realization that he passed Hara Moria. And he says, "Efshar she'avarti al makom shehit palelu avotan velohit palaltivo." His could it be? I passed by the spot where my fathers prayed, and I didn't pray there. He was so upset at himself. How he could miss the opportunity? Imagine when we go to pray by the kotel or by kever Rachel or by me'arata machpela or. These are places where our forefathers, our patriarchs, our great people in our history prayed. Is it possible you can go to Eretz Yisrael and not pray in the places that they prayed? He couldn't believe it. Again, it was a mistake, but he couldn't believe. He went all the way to Haran and didn't pray on the way. Pasuk says, the Rashi says, Yahav He's I gotta go back goes back to travel. In those days, that wasn't like catching a flight. He was has to go back and travel the way they used to travel. He went back to pray. And Rashi says, And the earth jumped for him. What does it mean it jumped for him? It means he got there very quickly. So, a miracle perhaps. But maybe not a miracle. Maybe when you're fully focused on getting somewhere, then you just figure out a way to get there as fast as possible. And maybe you will get extra help from Shemaim because you put all your energy into it. When you give your energy into something, you realize you have something you never thought you had. There is a midah that's mentioned in Perkei Avot. In Perkei Avot there's a Mishnah that talks about 48 different characteristics that a person needs to have to achieve greatness in Torah and in life. Many of these characteristics, you will look at them and say, oh yeah, I could have guessed that one. It's like humility, you could have guessed that one. There's all different types of midot in there that we would all appreciate. One of them is called Betahara. 
That's number nine. Not all books have it right here, but some books have it right in this spot, number nine. Betahara. Tahara sounds like purity. When I tell you with purity, it means you have to be pure. So number one, purity is not a midah. Purity is maybe a status. You're pure or you're tameh. It's not, a, it's not your character. If a person touches a met and becomes tameh, that's not a characteristic of his. That's just a status. He's now tameh. So tahara doesn't seem to be a midah. What does it mean, tahara? Some explain tahara doesn't mean purity in the way we normally understand purity, like pure, holy. Some explain purity means it's the characteristic of purity of mind. What does it mean, purity of mind? It means that you have a characteristic that when you're doing something, you're fully focused on what you're doing. Why is that called purity of mind? Because the mind has many things going on in it. Many, many, many. It's, I don't think it's hundreds, it's thousands, it's maybe more than that. There are a lot of things going on in the mind. And all these little things disturb the purity of the mind. So when you're doing something, you're not doing fully. You're not purely doing it. For example, when you're talking to somebody, you're not fully focused on the conversation because your mind is involved in many other things. When your mind is involved in many things, that's called a mind that isn't pure. It's like a person who has a cup of wine and there's all sediments in the wine. So every sip you take, there's other things in it that ruin the wine. If the sediments settle or you get them out, you have pure wine. The human mind is like that. A person has many things going on in their mind. And those things will be there with every act that they do during the day. No matter what they're doing. They're cooking, they're ha they have all those things. They're praying, those things are there. They're teaching, those things are there. They're reading. No matter what they do, the mind isn't pure. Again, pure means it's not focused. That's what it means, pure. Fully focused on what you're doing at the moment. That's called tahara. That's very, very difficult midah to find, especially in our world today. Focusing is one of the biggest challenges of our generation. The midah of tahara is the ability to do something and to be fully focused for that moment. It could be what you're doing is a moment, a second, but you're fully focused for that minute, for that second. Giving it 100%. Let me explain to you the difference between being focused and non-focused. If you've ever seen a professional Olympian or uh, professional sports with any sport. What makes the difference 
in what they're able to do isn't only their ability. It's that they have a full focus on what they're about to do. That usually is what differentiates the great athletes from the mediocre ones. Not their ability. On a certain level, they have pretty much the same ability. It's their ability just to focus on what they're doing. Most people that we've ever met, probably ourselves included, are using only a small fraction of our mental capacity. Meaning, our mind is always working. It's not that our mind isn't working. But the problem is that it's working on everything all the time. So whatever it is that we're doing, it's only we're only giving it a fraction of our mental capacity. It becomes so crucial if you want to make it big in life, in anything that we do, this is for religion, for business, for relationships, anything that we do in life, anything. If we want to make it big, obviously, if we used our ability to the utmost, we have the greatest chance. But we need to figure out how to focus our minds into what we're doing. People think that multitaskers, people with a lot of things to do, they're very good when they do a lot of things at one time. And that's a terrible mistake. Because when you do a lot of things at one time, you don't do anything good. A multitasker is the exact opposite. It's the ability to block out everything that you need to do for the moment that you're doing what you're doing. It's the ability to just put a fence on everything else, even though it needs to be done. And you just focus everything into what you're doing. You get it done, and you move to the next one, and to the next one. Betahara. You know, in our holy books, you'll find that before an important activity, sometimes we say, Hineni muhan umzuman, which means, I am about to get ready. I'm about to do this. It's basically a declaration that I'm about to block everything out of my life for the moment. I'm about to pray for five minutes. Muhan umzuman. I am ready to block everything out of my mind in order to focus fully on what I'm about to do. And what I'm about to do is going to be something of high quality because it's fully focused. You know, in reality, it makes all the difference of success or failure in life. This nekuda, this mida, it could be the difference between a great life, a mediocre life, or a failure. Because in reality, living the moment is the only way to enjoy life. You can never live enjoying the past, because it's gone. You can never enjoy the future, it's not here. You could only live the moment. You could only enjoy the moment right now. 
So actually, it's the moment that you're currently in that is going to decide your happiness. And every moment after that. Every moment that we're in is the moment. As long as you take full advantage of that moment. If during the moment you're thinking about tomorrow's moment, so you've lost today's moment. And if you're thinking about yesterday's moment, whether it was good or bad, you lost today's moment. So it comes out that the greatness of life, really, is the ability to live each moment to the utmost. That's what Shlomo Melech perhaps was teaching us in Kohelet when he said, La zman. He says, everything has a time. Ve'et lechol hefetz. There's a moment for every item. Tahat ha'shamayim. Lakol zman. And then he starts listing. What do you mean lakol zman? What do you mean everything has a time? So he says, Ayet laledet. Time to give birth. Ve'et lamut. Time to die. Ayet lata'at. A time to plant. Ayet lakor. A time to uproot. Ayet laharog. A time to kill. Ayet lirpo. A time to heal. Ayat livkot, a time to cry. Ayat lishok, a time to laugh. Ayat sefod, a time to eulogize. Ayat rekod, a time to dance. And on, he continues. And anyone reading this says, Shlomo Melech, what? What are you teaching us here? Don't we know all that? Doesn't every human on the planet know that life is not made up of one time? It's not a time that's just the same. It's not a static, it just doesn't ever change? Of course, we know life is different. Every situation is different. So what is Shlomo Amel, the great wise man teaching me in Kohelet? Not only is it in Kohelet, it's, hot, it's the only part of Kohelet, if you look at the Megillah, it's the only part of Kohelet that's highlighted for the reader to take notice. It's got plenty of space in between the words. What does Shlomo Amel want by telling us the most obvious information? Perhaps he's teaching us that the moments of life, no matter what they are, whether they're the ones that you were expecting or wanted or whatever it might be, the moment that you're in is your moment right now. The moment that you're sitting here is your greatest moment because this moment is never coming back. So if you're here at this moment and you're listening to this class, so you put everything into this class. Yes, in learning too, you could focus. There are people who come to learn, whether they're learning in a book or coming to listen. And there are some people who just like put their head back and catch a word here and there. They snooze every few minutes. Some people, they have their game face on and they're listening. Some people are writing to make sure they don't miss something. It's a different level of focus. How much will you get out of this class that you sat for however long time you sat here. How much are you getting out of this class? Well, the answer is, however focused you are in this class. And guess what? For the time you're here, there's nothing else happening in your life. There's nothing right now at this moment than exactly what's happening. So give it your all. Says Shalom HaMelech, if you take every moment in life, and just give it your all. You know, there are people who, 
when it's time to cry, they just can't wait to laugh. And when they're laughing, they're just not in the mood. And they just want to cry. And there are people who just want to build, but they never want to destroy. And see, people, they never want to... It almost seems like every opportunity in life has a reason to look for something else. Says Shalom you're making a mistake. Take the opportunities as they come. Lo alenu, a person is an avelut. Not a great time. Not a great time. You don't wish for avelut. But guess what? It's a moment. You got to use the moment of avelut. Whatever that moment means. Ask your local rabbi why and how to utilize it. But be focused on the avelut. Don't think about purim when you're in avelut. And when you're in Purim, don't think about Avelut. Everything has a time. Everything has a moment. Give the moment your full attention. Because those moments, says Shlomo HaMelech, are Tahat HaShamayim. They're not random moments. They're moments that are given to you from Shamayim. And use them. Utilize them. Give it your all at that moment. Be betahara. Be fully focused in what you do. You will become a great person. If everything you do, at least the meaningful things, you give it all. You block everything out. Your children come home. Focus on your children. Nothing else. Until you need to move on to something else. If you're with someone, fully focus until you move on to the next thing. It is that way between us and our friends and our marriages with our children, with Hashem. It is that way in work. You're working. Be fully focused. When you're working, be fully in. You got to train yourself, not in, only in religious matters, in anything. That's what the Rambam writes in Morene Bukhim. Train yourself in life that whatever you're doing, do it all in. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be holy. You go to work fully in. Give it your all. You're helping somebody, give it your all. Don't be thinking about what you're doing next. When you finish, you'll go to the next thing. That's the greatness of a person. La calls man. This is the time. Live the moment. And you can only live the moment in the highest level if you give it everything you've got. That's what we see by the Egel. It says that after Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu he's going to destroy Hasfashalom Am Yisrael. After Moshe pleaded, and as you know, Hashem forgave Am Yisrael. Moshe got the Torah, got the Bukhot again. And as Hashem was passing by Ya'avor, as we say all the time, Adonai Alpana Vayikra, he passed in front of Moshe and he spoke about all Hashem's Midot. Next Pasuk it says, Vayimaher Moshe, Moshe rushed, Vayikod Arza Vayishtah. And he bowed on the ground to thank Hashem. The Gemara says, what happened? 
what did Moshe see? That he suddenly rushed. He was rushing. Right? Maher Moshe. He rushed him down. Gemara says, Erech apayim ra'ah. He saw what, what, what got him so thankful and appreciative is he saw Hashem's patience. What does that mean? So the Midrash, the Yalkut Shimoni, has a little bit more detail. The Midrash says, let me give you a mashal. It says the Midrash, there was a king whose son did something very, very, very bad and he needed to get reprimanded. He needed punishment. There was no way out of it. So the king, the punishment was that this heavy rock, the king would throw it from the first floor on top of the son's head. That was the punishment. But he says, listen, he's about to throw the stone. He says, if I throw the stone on my son's head, he's dead. But I got to punish him. I gotta give him the punishment of the stone, which I do. I don't want to punish him. That's just what I, that's what needs to happen now. So what should I do? How can I punish him with the stone and not kill him? So the, so the king, oh, I got it. He took the stone and he chopped it into thousands of pieces of little, little rocks. And every day, he would throw a little rock on top of the kid's head. Ouch! After a thousand days, the rock all fell on the kid's head. But nothing happened to him. That's Erech Hashem saw that if he would knock out Am Yisrael one time, we couldn't survive. So he did it over many hundreds and thousands of years. Every time we have a little bit from the Egel, we're still getting a rock on our head every once in a while. But you know what that teaches you? It's an amazing thing. Think about it. The entire rock fell on the kid's head. What's the difference? The difference is that when something is, when a rock is united, when a rock is all together, it's very powerful. But once you split it into little parts, the same rock lost its energy. And that's exactly what happens to us. We go to learn, we're not focused. We're like, we have a little rock learning and a thousand other rocks in other places. It doesn't do anything or does very little. We're involved, we're helping, we're doing, we're working, we're, whatever it is that we're doing. We give a little rock and everything else is involved also, which doesn't do anything for what we're trying to accomplish. It just holds us back. Imagine taking upon ourselves this beautiful midah of tahara. Imagine walking out today and saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to change overnight, but to the best of my ability, every time I'm going to do something at least that's meaningful, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to come to a class in a different way. I'm going to learn in a different way. I'm going to pray differently. I'm going to greet people differently. Just saying a greeting to somebody, a Shabbat Shalom to somebody that's done with focus, is so much more powerful than just a greeting of Shabbat Shalom. If you look at many, many people who wish Shabbat Shalom, a peaceful Shabbat unto the other, they're not focused. Their mind is elsewhere. They're not really focused on the words or the person or the blessing. 
Imagine every person you would see, you would stop your world for that half a second and you would say Shabbat Shalom and you would focus that bracha on that person. You know how much more meaningful that would be? And by the way, they would feel it in a heartbeat. You might say, come on, will anyone even notice? In a, in a second they will notice. Every, they may not know why, but they will feel that that Shabbat Shalom was a little bit more special than everybody else's. It's just obvious. When you put your energy into something, it just makes all the difference. A welcome to somebody into your home, even a child, even a spouse, that's done with everything, is a different welcome. Oh, you're on the phone in one ear, you're holding something in the other hand, and you're thinking about something else, and you're upset about something, hi. It, does, it just doesn't do the trick. It doesn't, it's, you, you said the right words, you said hello, but you haven't built anything. That hello is very, very little, when in reality, that was the moment. That moment was to drop everything, put on hold the person, drop the other bag, stop thinking about anything else, and for that moment, you give a hello with everything you have. That's a whole different kind of halal. It's a whole different kind of blessing. If you go through your day, you're going to realize that so little of our day is focused, if any. Especially in today's world, where everything is flying at the same time. But that's what we're going to need to become great people. You know, there's a famous thing, you all know this, I'm not sure if you understood it in this light though. We know that Hazal tell us that angels could only do one mission. That's why Abraham, the angels that came, they had three angels. One to heal his wife, one uh, him, excuse me, one to give a child to his wife, one to destroy Sedon. Hazal asked, why well, I need three? Just come, let, let him come, just one. Let one do all three jobs. Hazal tells us, no, 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 no. A malach, an angel, cannot do two things. Cannot, you, you cannot send an angel on two missions. Go give Sarah the news and heal Abraham. That's too much. So when we've read this our whole life, we say, oh wow, angels are like really weak. We thought angels were like these like superhumans. It comes out, they're very weak people. Me and you could do a thousand things at one time. And the angel, you give him two things, ah, too much, I can't, I can't focus. We may have looked at this as something that belittled the angel, but in reality, it could be defining why he's an angel and what makes them so powerful because they're fully focused. They cannot have anything else in their mind. When they're doing something, when they're on a mission, they can't have anything distracting them. Giving Abraham the news for his wife and healing him, too many things. We can't understand that. What does that mean? Why well, can't do both? But if we understood the power of focus and what it is, we would start to understand, wow, that's the greatness of a malach. You know why they do things on such a high level? Because they do nothing else but that 
until they finish. And if we lived life like an angel in that respect, we would be so much more successful in everything that we do. Which brings us back to the questions that we asked on the story of Resh Lakish and Rabbi Yohanan. We asked, how did Rabbi Yohanan see in Resh Lakish that he could be the Gadol Hador? What did he see? He saw a man jump. He saw a somersault in the Jordan River. What was so special about that that showed he could be the Gadol? Rabbi Yohanan, it seems with his keen eyes, saw that this man, his energy, his strength wasn't necessarily because his body was so powerful. He saw in him this unbelievable midah of tahara that we all struggle to have, especially after today's class. We're going to struggle to acquire this midah. He saw Rish Lakish with all of his crazy lifestyle, but he saw his focus. He looked at him, how he jumped, how he stopped like that Olympic hurdle run, you know, competition. He saw that guy getting ready, focusing all of his energy and his thought. And that jump was a product of his complete focus. Says Rabbi Yohanan Tarish you see that? That midah, if you can use it for Torah, you will become a gadol. Because with focus, you can't fail. And Rabbi Yohanan knew that Rish Lakish was a man who was living the wrong lifestyle. He was caught up in all the wrong things. But if he would commit himself with that kind of focus, and a commitment to do the right thing, 100% solid, guaranteed, good to marry the top girl in Kalisa. Me and you would say, that guy, how do we know? How do we know? Maybe he's gonna go back, maybe he's still gonna, maybe. You're right, me and you will never be able to know. But if we found a person that had the power of focus, true, they were focused on all the wrong things, but now they're committed to do the right things, and they have this characteristic of focus, take it to the bank. They will succeed. The reason why many of us don't succeed is because we're all over the place. We can't focus on what we're doing. And that is why the minute Rish Lakish decided to focus his energy on a new lifestyle of Torah and mitzvot, at that point already, he lost his ability to jump. Because his ability to jump didn't come from his muscle. It came from his focus. And the minute he decided that he's gonna start focusing on more important things, there was no more room to be able to do what he did before. He couldn't focus on that anymore. It became not important anymore because he had something more important in his life that he was focused on. This is the kavana. Imagine in the Amidah that Hashem tells us 
to build our marriage with him, the most important part of this relationship is compliment. And not just compliment with words. You say the first beracha with your words. Halacha says, you're not yotzeh. You did nothing for the relationship. You compliment people with your words, you've done nothing. You need to compliment with kavana. You need to compliment with focus. You need to focus on the person. You need to focus on what you're saying. It has to be real. It has to be coming from every part of you. That kind of compliment will build homes, will build relationships, will build people. Imagine, you read the whole Amidah, you ask for everything. Your words, okay, they're good enough. They're good enough. Uh, compliment? Oh no, words aren't good enough. I might have thought otherwise. It doesn't work. That's what the Amidah teaches me and you. Compliments without focus. Focus means you look at the person in the eye, you focus on what you're about to say and why you're saying it, and you give it over with everything that you have. That's a compliment. That compliment builds ahaba. That compliment builds relationships. Most importantly, the one between us and Hashem. Gotta start thinking about that during our Amidah. That beginning of the Amidah has to be so focused. Block everything else out. And little you'll be realizing is that not only you're building your relationship with Hashem, you're building all your relationships through that. Because you're learning how to live as a focused person. This is what Resh he says, and I'll end with this. Resh he says, imagine who better to say this than Resh Lakish. He says, Torah, learning of Torah. That's us here today. That's young men and older people sitting down by a Gemara learning. Torah in the home, in the Bet Midrash. <coughs> says Resh Lakish that you cannot have the influence of Torah that you're learning unless you're memit atzmo aleha. Unless you die for it. What an interesting thing. Imagine you leave this class. You say, how was the class? It was very good. Did you die for it? <laughs> He's saying, would I die for it? I'm not sure I would die for it. Did I die for it? No, I wasn't really. Maybe I was sleeping. I don't know if I was dying for it. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? You ask a young man leaving the Bet Midrash. So tell me. Did you learn today? Yes. Did you die on it? I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know what you're saying even. What do you mean die? Am I willing to die, you're saying? Is that what it means? Some explain that. It means that for the time that you're learning, it's as if you're dead to everything else. What would happen if a person is dead and they get a phone call? No, what, like, what would happen? Let's imagine that. Like, what do they do? What, they, did they stop being dead? What do they do? 
What could they do? They, they got a phone call. Someone's waiting for them. They have something to do. They have a... But you're dead. That's it. When you're dead, there's nothing else to do. You're just dead. There's nothing else. It says Rish Lakish, Adam ki yamut If you want to make it big in life, especially in Torah, you have to be for the moment, you're dead to the world. Nothing else is happening. Except Baruch Hashem, you're not dead. You're learning. But it's as if you're dead to everything else. Just like a person says, I can't reach him, he's dead. That's it. Nothing's not doing it. For the time being, there's nothing going on in my life. Of course, within reason, there are rules. People are in danger. People need help. I'm not talking, discussing all the rules there. But bottom line is that when you're doing something, there's nothing else to do. You know, I wondered, how come Hashem did that? Why did Hashem do that? You know, ever wonder? You don't think Hashem could make us capable of giving our all to a thousand things at one time? Why did He do that for? Why did He make us that we could only give our all to one thing at a time? Are we less than a computer? A computer can make a thousand calculations at one time. A million calculations. We can't. We need to focus each thing one at a time. One at a time. Why? Why didn't Hashem make our brain capable of focusing on a thousand things at once? I think it's an interesting question. I think a possible answer, and I think it'll help us. I'm not just giving it to you because to give you a nice answer. I think it'll help us if you ask me now, so how do I do this? Like, it's hard. How do I do this? How do I block everything else? What does that mean? Can't do it. It's all over me. How? This could help you. Perhaps the reason why Hashem didn't want us to focus on a thousand things at once is because He wants to build our bitahon and our relationship of relying on Him. You see, for example, when Shabbat comes, the Torah says, six sheshet yamim The Midrash says, when Shabbat comes, your work must end. Te'aseh, it's over. Which person ended their work when Shabbat started? We may stop working, but your work didn't end. How could the Torah expect us to say that our work ended? The answer is that in life, there are two buckets. There's the bucket of what you need to do. That's your job. Then there's the bucket of what Hashem that's his job. You always have to know what's your bucket, what's his bucket. Six days a week, it's your bucket to work. When Shabbat starts, your work is over. It's done. What about my business? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to the customer? What's going to happen to the bank? What? Oh, it's Hashem's bucket. When Shabbat comes, it goes to Hashem's bucket. And you could be relaxed. Your work is over. You didn't stop working. It's more than that. Your work is done. Because from now on, Hashem is handling that area. In life, there are things in my bucket that I have to worry about. And things in His bucket that I can't worry about. I go on a date. That's my bucket. 
I have to work hard to go out and do the best I can. The results, not my bucket. That's his bucket. Don't worry about his bucket. My bucket is the key for me. And sometimes things go in and out of the bucket. Imagine life with that mindset. What happens? Right now, this moment, what do I have to do? I need to do, I'm learning. Good, that's my bucket now. But what about what's going to happen there, what's going to happen tomorrow, and, and, and the stock market, and also this, and the house, and the, this, and the, Right now, it's not in your bucket. It's not in your bucket now. If, when it'll come in your bucket, you take care of it. Now, right now, it's out of your bucket. Actually, when you focus, it's an act of reliance that everything else is being handled. Because right now, I can only do what I need to do. I'm not getting nervous about anything else because it's not in my bucket. And you live like this day in and day out. It builds this unbelievable bitahon in Hashem where you're able just to focus on what you're doing and leave everything out for the moment until it comes into your bucket. Until then, it's out of your hands. And thank God, it's in better hands. He'll handle it. When it's time for you to do it, and people get nervous. Oh, I, 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 I hope it comes right now. I need to do it right now. You don't need to do it right now. You need to do it when it's time to do it. Until then, it's being handled. It's not in your hands. That could be one of the reasons why we don't have the ability to focus on so many things. Because we need to rely on our Creator. It's a constant relationship builder with our Creator when we're able to focus on what we're doing and block everything out. So Be'ezrat Hashem, with that, we can go on and focus on every, can't say everything that we do, but at least every important thing that we do. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we will find Hatzlacha in our Amidah, when we focus our compliments to Hashem, and with people as well. Baruch Allah Amen Amen.